0: Hey, welcome to a special condensed season two of the On Verge podcast, where we'll be delivering five episodes in 20 days, leading up to the October 9th ministry leadership conference sponsored by the Northwest Coast Presbytery. This conference is called Verge, and the theme this year is Think Again. And season two of this podcast will include shorter conversations with each of the fabulous speakers or worship leaders for the Verge Leadership Conference. So learn more and register for Verge at verge.northwestcoast.org. That's V E R G E.northwestcoast, all spelled out.org. Married not quite two years ago, Christy and Grant Gustafson found each other after growing up in very different worlds. When I first met Christy, she talked about growing up in a mostly white suburb, being an African American kid, and having several unfortunate incidents with law enforcement personnel. And Grant grew up in a family of several law enforcement personnel, but they found each other, fell in love, got married and now serve together in university student ministries at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. They also work together to design the Washington State Governor's Prayer Breakfast and help with the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. to bring people from different political parties, walks of life, and sectors of society together to pray for their world, their communities, and each other. Enjoy this conversation with Christy and Grant Gustafson. I am here with Christy and Grant Gustafson, and I'm so jazzed to be here to get a chance to talk with you before Verge in October. So, Christy and Grant, welcome. I wondered if you could share a little bit uh, about yourselves. Like, tell us about your spiritual upbringing. I
1: I can start with my upbringing. So, my mom and dad both grew up in uh, pretty religious settings, um, legalistic and even abusive at times. And um, then my parents divorced when I was just one. So my spiritual upbringing was interesting because my dad had a pretty cynical view of the faith. He had kind of walked away from his faith. And my mom still stayed very faithful, but but struggled with going to church. And so, you know, my siblings and I were kind of caught in this interesting in-between where it's like, okay, we go to dad's house and it's like religion's brainwashing and, you know, watch out for that. And then with mom, it's like, we would see her praying and she'd, she'd pray with us. And so there was this really genuine expression of faith. So I grew up knowing a lot about faith and church and religion, and even having different perspectives on God. But it really took meeting the person of Jesus himself to realize like, this is for me. And that that was a, an experience that just happened out of curiosity, really. I, I wanted to read the gospel accounts. I kind of wanted to know what this was all about for myself and when I stumbled upon Jesus it just he captivated me Mm -hmm. now I didn't know a lot because I'm reading I'm like I don't understand this like I'm captivated but I don't get it and so from there I just started soaking up everything I could
2: For me, I grew up in a believing home. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents actually met Jesus about a year before I was born. Mm -hmm. My parents went from hosting parties out of their house to hosting weekly Bible studies and worship (laughs) nights. that kind of tees up my story a little bit because my parents from there about, gosh, I would have been three. They decided to go to a three-year Bible And missions and ministry school in upstate New York. So I lived on campus with about 200 to 250 other people in very intentional, very diverse community. People from all over the world, from around the country with different backgrounds, different experiences. And I'm really, I'm really fortunate for how formative that was in my faith because Mm -hmm. I got to see. And hear stories about how God was actively moving in different parts of the body of Christ. That really marked my passion and my curiosity for both the unity of believers uh-huh. in their diversity, but also just the beauty of diversity and kingdom. Fast forwarding in my story a little bit, yeah. pre-middle school, were the beginning signs of my mom starting to experience pretty significant mental health issues, which ultimately led to my parents going through a divorce and my mom and my brothers and I moving to a small suburb outside of Portland, which is where I would say I was raised. I spent 12 years there. It was predominantly white space where there was very little diversity. And for the first time, I felt like, oh, I don't just naturally feel like I fit in or belong. (laughs) Huh. I remember the encouragement that I heard just years prior from these missionaries. They were like, it's only Jesus who can bridge these cultural gaps. And if you don't feel like you fit in or you belong, then the first person to go to is Jesus. So that began a discussion in my prayer life with Jesus, where I would ask him, what does it look like for me? to love these people. What does it look like for me to see this part of the body with your eyes Okay. and to relate to them with your heart? And ultimately that wound up leading to the work that I do now. Okay. And over time that led me to Africa and that led me to different, just different parts of the world, but truly coming to have a lens and a perspective that we are actually unified in Jesus and that no matter where we go, we actually are a family united.
0: <laughs> the way I met you, Christy, first was through the governor's prayer breakfast here in the state of Washington.
2: Yeah. you
0: led a fantastic reflection, and that the experience of that, I just remember coming away from that saying, man. Christy was the highlight of that whole morning. I mean, you know, breakfast was good. Governor's okay. but Christy was awesome. (laughs) I understand that that you or maybe you together help to make those types of engagements possible, not just here, but in other parts.
1: Is that right? When I was in college, I got invited to that event, the governor's prayer breakfast. Okay. I didn't know what it was. And I was really taken aback by it because I saw business people, politicians, teachers, healthcare professionals talking about the teachings of Jesus. And up until that point in my life, I had pretty much only heard from quote unquote professional Christians. About yeah, Jesus. totally. You know, pastors, church ministers, and, and that's Okay. But this was sort of rocking my world because it made me realize that you don't have to be in ministry vocationally to have a ministry. And having a vocation doesn't limit our ability to do ministry. It actually expands it. It wasn't until I went to the governor's prayer breakfast that I, that thought crossed my mind. And so I kept going. I think I've been to, that was my first one. That was probably 10 years ago. So I think I've been to 10 governor's prayer breakfast in a row in Olympia. And upon graduating college, I I did a one-year ministry internship with a college ministry. And then these friends and mentors I met through the prayer breakfast experience asked if I'd want to join their team. We do one of these in Olympia. We just did an event in Oregon that's sort of a Pacific Northwest gathering and then We also go back to Washington, D.C. quite a bit and help with the National Prayer Breakfast, which happens in February. I've been a part of that team since 2014. yeah. And we met in 2017 okay, and started dating in 2018. And she started to figure out that I was a part of this, you know, prayer breakfast movement thing. And there was overlap in our relationships. Subsequently, the Lord had been preparing her to leave what she had been a part of and And at the time this worked out that we could join in this work together.
2: I meet Grant and I also wind up meeting different members on his team Okay, and I'm asking them about the things that they're involved in and what they're passionate about. And they start just sharing these stories of seeing people who maybe would otherwise not really have much in common, come together. I'm like, ah, they're, they're sharing about this beautiful unity. Yeah. And here I am. I'm like, oh. I love it. Let's just, I could have this conversation all day (laughs) talking about unity and Jesus. Let's go. Like we need to have more of these conversations. Um, And so that kind of, that was my introduction to things like prayer breakfasts and different gatherings where they're multi-generational. I mean, they're diverse in as many ways as you, as you can think. So mm-hmm. I wind up going to these events and I start sharing a little bit of my story mm-hmm. and what I had learned about really what the Lord was teaching me when it came to approaching conversations where there are just major divides okay. where maybe unity doesn't quite seem possible. Or maybe the lie that's being believed is there's not space for your need and my need in this same space. Mm. It's like, how how do you, what do you do then? Mm. Do you agree to disagree and stay in your silos? Or do you start navigating some sort of experience that brings you together and creating spaces for that dialogue to happen? As I was sharing a little bit about my experience, facilitating some of these conversations, I was invited to share the governor's prayer breakfast and um i really leaned heavily into what i learned from dr dr martin luther king who really set an example for what it looks like to be united in jesus like there there it wasn't black or white or rich or poor it's really no it's all of us yeah It's all of us together that are going to see see change happen. That's the only way we're going to see change happen. And it's how Jesus has actually designed us to move together and impact the world.
0: What are you guys on the verge of now?
1: On the verge of. It's yes. a good, good question. You know, one thing that we've been thinking a lot about is the idea of unity. When I look at our nation right now, unity is about the last thing I see. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, maybe maybe that's always how it feels, right? Maybe it just feels like we're always fighting with each other. Or we're always uh, pointing the finger. Um, and, and, to an extent, I believe that to be true. I think that's an issue we'll always have to deal with because it's just part of the human condition. We want to, we want to blame. We want to point the finger. We want to figure out a person that we can put all our problems on or a group of people that we can put all our problems on. So this work of figuring out how to unify people, what's occurring to me is it's not so much a strategy as it is a person mm-hmm. that Jesus is unity, that unity is a person and one of the scriptures we're going to be talking about come October is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. And just as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that we all have a ministry, and that ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. It's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Second Corinthians chapter 5. And so we've all been given it. It's been committed to us, the ministry of reconciliation, and we've been committed to carry the message of reconciliation. That while we were still considered sinners, God reconciled himself to us. Paul's invitation is therefore to be reconciled to God. And so as we look at this issue of unity, it starts with being reconciled to him. And then we can be reconciled to one another. And it's a really powerful thing because Paul isn't saying this is something you could do. He's saying this is the ministry you've been given from Jesus. If you're following him, so it's not negotiable, you know, it's not something that if we have time for it, we could try to unify. That's what I feel like we're on the verge of. I
2: think we're on the verge of learning how redemptive and restorative our unity can be. We see Jesus model what it looked like to really see situations and see people through the eyes of the father as opposed to through the eyes of a circumstance. That's great. As we walk with Jesus into these conversations, whether they be challenging conversations around maybe racial injustice or socioeconomic injustice, where, wherever we find ourselves, there's there's a process that we get to enter into with Jesus where we allow him to refine our lens hmm. that really prepares our hearts to engage in that conversation in a way that is redemptive. And it's so, so important because we as believers have the opportunity to see a holistic redemption, a holistic justice happen, where it's not just the people who are oppressed, who are now no, no longer oppressed. And it's not just the people who maybe were oppressing or, were on the wrong side of the equation, no longer doing the wrong, but rather people being restored to to right relationship with one another to right relationship with the Lord and you'll see you'll see people maybe more similar to paul who at one point were passionate about tearing down and tearing apart who that same passion now that the Lord mm-hmm. has touched that and refined that is using that to transform. The community of believers. When you when you take a step back, you realize, okay, what would it have been like to be Ananias? <laughs> mm. I was reading that story the other day, and I was thinking about it. Okay, what would it have been like to be Ananias, where the Lord comes to you and it's like, hey, I'm going to send you this person, and in that in that moment, Ananias had the opportunity. To have a dialogue with the Lord, which is really cool to read about. But he had to do some processing in his heart whether or not he wanted to view Paul through the eyes that the Lord wanted to give him to see him. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> I know, or if he wanted to relate to Paul or based on how Paul was currently identifying. Mm-hmm. And we as believers are, are being given a similar challenge, mm. whether there are people who maybe have a, have destructive narratives destructive messages and maybe even destructive intentions but we have the opportunity to have a conversation with the lord how do i see them mm-hmm. and how do i be a part of this process of you restoring them and calling them into what's actually true about who they are
1: mm-hmm.
2: that's a hard thing to do <laughs> <laughs> so i'm very thankful for stories like that where we get to see a conversation like what anna and i was having with the lord And even, I mean, I wouldn't say his reception of Paul was the warmest either, (laughs) but he was faithful and he showed up. Um, And meanwhile, there was also, there had to be a lot of trust that God who was speaking to Ananias was also going to be doing a work in Paul's heart. Mm. And he had to trust that that work was genuine. There's a reliance on the power of God and there's a reliance on the movement of God that is something we can't really control, but something we need to stay sensitive and and open to.
0: No kidding. It's a lot of risk-taking.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Relational risk-taking. I mean, I just think when I think of Ananias, I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm. you're going to put these believers trust on the line to bring this dude in. What are you thinking?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think he literally asked us, and he like God, do you know who this person is. Yeah, you know, he's like asking God if he knows who the person is. And it's like, yeah, I feel like we, you know, like we do that sometimes, you know. Yeah,
2: like this person is the problem. It's like, no, 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 he's not the problem.
1: You know, we wow. at, our, at these prayer breakfasts, especially the national prayer breakfast, we one of the challenges is to pray for the president. Yeah. And you know, so it was Barack Obama for a period. Then it was Donald Trump for a period. Now it's President Biden and.
0: And somebody's always got a problem praying
1: for that. Yeah, exactly. It's like God, I'm not going to pray for this. And yeah. but it just goes. It's to your point. We we don't see people the way God sees them. Mm-hmm. This is good. Ooh, I can't wait till
0: October. So, um, uh, so I wonder, um, what are you guys looking forward to? When it comes to our verge conference, what do you, I mean, like, what are you anticipating and looking forward to?
2: I'm, I'm just rereading the book of acts right now. And I see within the book of acts, whenever the Holy spirit, whenever the Lord was wanting to maybe redirect or make the church aware of a way that he wanted to move, you would see just the body of believers in different regions come together To have conversations. So when I think of Verge, it's exactly what we're doing. We're coming together, and we're we're learning together. Okay, what is what is God up to? What is the Spirit up to? Mm -hmm. How might He be asking us to participate in the way He's desiring to move the church forward right now? And as we think about that together, we're able we're able to leave um, encouraged and also empowered to see that movement happen. I just get really excited and I'm also really grateful to be a part of gatherings like this. So thank you for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so welcome. What you, and what are you thinking in Grant? What are you looking forward to?
1: I'm really excited about the theme, Think Again. And I actually think that is one of the most important commandments that Jesus gave us because you, you probably already know this, but the word repent that we translate in English in the Greek is metanoia, yeah. and it literally means meta change, noia think, change the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> So when Jesus is saying, repent for the kingdom of God has come near to you, he's saying, change the way you think. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here right now. And so we're we're constantly. I'm getting chills. (laughs) Because we're constantly being told to think a certain way, not just about faith and sin and, you know, spiritual things, about really practical things, you know, money, vocation. Like we just talked about, you know, family. Uh, government, and we need to change the way we think about everything because he is here, his kingdom is here, and so I get really excited when I hear people talking about that because I just think it's so important and it's an overlooked commandment of Jesus in fact it's how he preached the gospel, what we call the gospel mm-hmm. was repent, the kingdom of God is at hand or has come near, near to you and so when we preach the gospel. Are we preaching it the same way Jesus did? Essentially what he was saying was think again, (laughs) which, which I love. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. That is so cool.
0: And as our people who are listening or planning to come and engage in Verge, do you have any suggestions for them for how they can prepare themselves, their hearts and minds and readiness
1: to engage this together. I was just thinking about this this morning as I was praying, information doesn't change us. Relationship is what changes us. And so part of the challenge when any of us go to a conference or hear a sermon is, it has to become relational if it doesn't become relational, it, it's not likely to be transformational. Um, it, it will be something we can even know in our heads and, and recite to others, but it's a long distance from the head to the heart. When we learn something, we have to take it to prayer and be like, God, how do I live this in my relationship with you? And then in my relationship with others, my encouragement is just to make time for that, whether it's, You know, I think this only goes until the mid afternoon. So maybe the, a couple hours after that, just take your notes or, and take it to God and be like, what do I do with this? What what do you want me to know about this? That I don't know yet. Or how do you want me to live this out?
2: Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. To build off of that so that things don't become information, but that we actually receive them. We can ask the Holy spirit to prepare our hearts to receive mm-hmm. and also taking what I hear to my friends. Like once I realize that the Lord is maybe inviting me to incorporate something new into either my way of thinking or my way of being, it is such a gift to have a community that we can invite into that. I went to a conference and I just felt really convicted to not have blame or shame be a part of the things that I say specifically when it comes to contentious topics like ask the Lord ask the Holy Spirit to root out blame and shame and it has been so transformative because I invited my communities hey if you hear me sharing would you start to just help me become aware when you sense blame and shame and what I'm doing because I truly don't believe that God imparts blame or shame Now there's conviction. That's one thing. And he'll say some truths and sometimes they're hard to hear, but he's not about blame or shame. So would you help me? And man, what a gift. What a gift to be able to not only take time and ask the Lord, how do I receive this, but also invite a community in to help me walk that out because that's the goal. And that's the hope, right? Is that Mm -hmm. we hear things. And when the Holy spirit in, impresses some things in our heart that we we learn to steward those things faithfully and that we receive the blessing that comes with accepting that invitation
0: hey thank you again for saying yes to our invitation to join us on October 9th I'm really 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 looking forward to it now I'm more jazzed so <laughs> Christy and Grant God bless you and we look forward to seeing you in just less than a month from now yes we're very yeah. excited thank yes. you
2: Corey More to it
0: Many thanks to my special guests, Christy and Grant Gustafson, for the inspiring conversation today. You can learn more about them and their prayer breakfast ministry at centered.org. Musical composer and producer of On the Verge is Jean Chamont. Jenny Taylor is our publicist. I'm your host, Corey Schlosser-Hall, and thanks so much for listening to On the Verge.